All right, back to Genesis. I decided to start over. Just kidding. I really hope that you have uh, enjoyed our preaching series uh, through Genesis. We uh, started September 8, 2019, and we wrapped up last week from preaching all the way through 61 sermons uh, through Genesis, five different preachers preached through uh, our Genesis text. And so uh, we kind of wrapped it up least, uh, uh, last week and, and, and finishing up uh, in the last chapter. Uh, but we do these long sermon series and then kind of abruptly move on to the next one. It's almost like a middle school couple dating, you know, where they find a boyfriend or girlfriend and then there's another cute, cute girl that walks down the hallway and it's moving on to the next thing. We're trying not to be too middle schooly here. And so we don't want to just leave and walk away and go, oh, well, I guess we're done there and we're moving on. Um, I thought it might be, it might be a good thing today to just one more time Think back through some of the, uh, uh, the, 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 the themes in Genesis, uh, some of the, uh, the things that might be helpful you to you in the future, some things that just kind of rattle your memory uh, from time to time as you think back on our text, as you come across some situations that Genesis kind of addressed. Uh, so I'll start by asking you, um, what is it that sticks out to you that you remember from Genesis? What is some phrase, some truth, some Whatever it is, what, what's the big thing that sticks out to you from Genesis? The Lord provides. There you go. Thank you for participating. What else? God is trustworthy, yeah. God ordains, yes. Oh, yeah, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, yeah. Keeps his promises. Yeah, I put that one down. What else? I have a few. <laughs> hey, so uh, as we look back, some of the things that I wrote down was that uh, that God blessed, chose to bless Abraham, and all the peoples of the earth have been blessed through him. Remember that's from chapter twelve uh, that God said those kind of things. Uh, chapter 15 says that when we believe the Lord, he credits it to us as righteousness. That is a, uh, a big theme that we see through Genesis, um, that uh, he established a covenant with Abraham and through Abraham that all of the earth would be blessed. Um, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Uh, God always does what is good and right and perfect. And through his offspring that people would be blessed. And so kind of the storyline of Genesis is the, kind of the big overarching storyline of Genesis was obviously you have God and creation and creating humanity, and then you get into the mistrust and disobedience and uh, the fall of man and the aftermath of that. And then you got through the flood and the new beginnings that came after the flood. And then you really ran into some of the early patriarchs, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the last story, really a lot about Joseph in these last few chapters of Genesis. And it, one of the things that it wrapped up with was from this wonderful statement in uh, chapter 50, verse 20. Uh, uh, it was written, it says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God, say that, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I mean, if you're with us anyway through Genesis, or you know a little bit about the story of Genesis, you know that... Um, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. 
Uh, he, they, they sold him down the river and basically uh, went away with him. They were angry with him over some of his dreams that he had. And then Joseph went away and actually rose up in, in Pharaoh's, uh, he actually went to prison. Uh, he uh, interpreted some dreams. He ended up rising up into Pharaoh's uh, right-hand man. He was second only to Pharaoh in the country. The huge famine came into the land, and basically he, his family survived, and much of the world survived because of Joseph and what he did in Egypt by, by his, his, uh, the way that God uh, helped him think through providing land, I'm, I'm providing food for uh, all the people during the famine. And so uh, what his brothers meant for evil, God had chosen to use it for good, even in reuniting the family. And so let's review Genesis. There's some things I think that will be helpful for us uh, that will be... Uh, uh, help for us as you think back through uh, the text. Uh, and so this uh, review of Genesis is brought to you by the letter P because all the letters, all the words start with P today, okay? First one is perfection. Perfection. If you think back to the beginning of our text, the Bible opens like this in Genesis 1.1. What does it say? Come on, you know this verse. Come on. Come on here. What is it? In the beginning, you can look in your Bible. Hey, you have a Bible or a, a device. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And so that is the very beginning statement of the Scriptures. Genesis 1, 1, and in chapter uh, 1, verse 25 said, God saw that it was good. It was good in every way. It was perfect in every way because God does not make any mistakes, okay? I need you to hear that from me. God does not make any mistakes. God's never asleep at the wheel, God never messes things up. God never says, oops. God doesn't say things like that, okay? God has a plan. God executes his plan, and God doesn't make mistakes. Uh, he does not make anything. Everything he does is good and right and perfect. Say that with me. Everything God does is what? Good and right and perfect. So if you think back to what he, when he made the world and he formed the world, he said, hey, let there be light, and there was light. Ha, ha, you know, light came on. I think there was a sound like that when it happened. I think it was the angels singing or something. Uh, light came into the world. There was atmosphere and the firmament that was made. I'm not getting into the firmament, but that's cool if you ever want to look at a picture of that. Uh, the firmament was made. Uh, dry ground and plants were made on the third day. Sun, moon, and the stars, the bird and the sea creatures. Of the land, the animals, and, and humans, and then God rested on the seventh day. And then he said, hey, it is not good for man to be alone. He had made Adam, and like everything had a, a mate. There were, there were male and female, all kinds of animals, but uh, Adam didn't have anybody who was with him. God said, it's not good for man to be alone, and he makes Eve, and it's like boom, and va-va-boom, and I like you, and all righty then, and yeah, I like you, and, and then he like breaks out into this thing in Genesis 2 about how awesome it is to have a wife, and this is what he says. Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, uh, because it's like, whoa, uh, because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so I use this text a lot of times in wedding ceremonies whenever I'm doing a wedding and performing the wedding. And the last verse is the newlyweds' favorite. Uh, they, because they were naked and not ashamed. And they're really excited about getting through the, <laughs> through the service. Uh, um, and so you get creation, a man, woman, naked, perfection. And that's where we kind of start the whole scripture, which is kind of cool, right? Amen? 
Come on. Amen. Yeah. And, and so then you get to Genesis 3. Out of perfection, perfection turns to perversion, right? Perversion happens in Genesis chapter 3. That's what the text says in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent, and that's how the serpent gets introduced. It's not like there's no history behind the serpent. There's no backstory to the serpent at this particular point in the text. But Genesis chapter 3 just says, Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What do you think his voice sounded like? Probably like that. Did God actually say, you know, or was it like a deep thing from the snake? Did God actually say? Which one was it? I think it's kind of like Gilbert Godfrey. That's how I listen. <laughs> Did God actually say, you know, uh, you should not eat of any tree of the garden? Uh, and then the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it. She went ahead and added, God didn't say not to touch it, but she said that God said not to touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. <laughs> Sorry, just entertaining myself up here. Uh, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was uh, to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. So the serpent, serpent deceived Eve. Adam was complicit in this whole entire uh, deal. And Genesis chapter 3, so that's, that's the Genesis chapter 3, and that is literally the blueprint for the way Satan does it today. He ain't got nothing new. Nothing new under the sun when it comes to our enemy. There's nothing new that he's going to necessarily try on you and me. There are no new tactics. Here's what he does. One, he's a liar, okay? Amen? So Satan is a liar. What is he lying to you about today? That's what happened to Adam and Eve, right? They went to it. God had made all this provision for them and said, you can have all this around you except this one very thing in the middle of the, of, of the, of the garden. Don't eat that or you will die. And then we see Satan come onto the scene and he begins immediately to question God and begins immediately to lie to them. And what is the first thing that he says? You won't die. What did God say? If you eat it, you will die. You will surely die. What does Satan say? You won't die. He's a liar. He's a liar. It's what he does. He lies to you. He lies to me. He lies to everybody. What lies are you believing today? What lies from your enemy, from Satan, are you believing today? Because he'll lie, because not only does he like to do that, he likes to lead us into sin. His lies lead us into sin. That's exactly what happened in Genesis. He led them into sin. Their lies led them to doing into something that is 1,000% contrary to what God just told them. The very opposite 
of what God told them to. The creator told them that walked with them in the cool of the day, told them not to do. He said the very opposite and they believed him. It led them into sin. Where are you being led into today? What are the things, what are the lies that you're believing today that are leading you into sin? And lastly, Satan will leave you to bear the consequences. He'll leave you to bear the consequences. He'll lie to you. He'll lead you into some kind of sin. And then he's deuces out and leaves you to deal with it. Leaves you in the aftermath. Leaves you in the carnage that comes around with it. Because that's what happens. We believe the lie, we dive off into sin, and then whoever led us into that, our enemy Satan, is off to somebody else and leaves you to live in the, just the, the rubble that's left behind. Most of us have been there at some point. You might be in the middle of it right now. And it could be because you've been in the middle of sin because you believe the lie. That's how he works. We all know the effects of this, right? We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. We have the math of all this. We see that sin, our sin that we fall off into leads to this a lot of times. Oh, pettiness. Genesis chapter 4. Verse 3, we see the story of Cain and Abel. This is what Scripture says. In the course of time, Cain, so, so Cain and Abel were the offspring of Adam and Eve, two of the offspring of Adam and Eve. And the Scripture says that Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offspring, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. So they brought offerings. The Lord had regard for Abel's. He did not have any regard for Cain's offering. And Abel, I mean, excuse me, and Cain was very angry. And his face fell. So you, you've seen that before, right? Oh, are you kidding me? His face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, listen, this is what the text says. The Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, you will, be, you, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. You know what a crouch is? I mean, crouching is like, like ready to pounce. Like, I mean, it's, it's ready to pounce. It, it's like waiting behind the door. It, it's like you scare your kids, you know? You ever hidden behind the door and scared your kids? You have, some, surely you have, right? If not, what are you doing, parents? <laughs> what is wrong with you? But you know how you'll hide behind the door and like scare them or scare your wife or whoever, you know, somebody, you'll do that. That's, that's, that's kind of the picture of this. It's crouching, hiding, waiting to pounce out to scare, to, to overtake them. And that's what, that's what the Lord said to Cain. He said, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. <clears throat> Verse eight, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and ate, his brother Abel and killed him. And so both of these dudes brought offerings to the Lord. They both brought an offering just like the Lord had said, hey, bring an offering, and they both brought an offering, but the Lord had regard for Abel's, and he didn't have regard, had no regard for Cain's, and Cain was disheartened, and again, the Lord reminded him, just sin is waiting for you to make the wrong decision. Do the right thing. 
Do what you should do. Don't fall into the trap of doing something that you shouldn't do. God reminded him, your sin is very near to you. It's close. Pay attention. It's really, it's like on your back. It's like the monkey on your back. Sin has an, is, is in opposition to you, and it wants to rule over you. It wants to take over your life. But Cain disregarded the warning. Say that with me. Cain disregarded the warning. Say it with me again. Cain disregarded the warnings and even of a word from the, God, from the Lord. Verse 8 tells us that Cain killed his brother over something innocuous. His brother didn't do it to him, okay? His brother didn't tell him, your offering sucks. His brother didn't look at him and go, ha His brother didn't look at him and go, my offering's better than your offering. He knew any of that. The scripture didn't record any of that for us, okay? It just says that Cain himself was disheartened over what the Lord had said to him, over something that he could have changed, over something that was pointed out how to do it differently, over something that essentially became the catalyst that destroyed them both, over something petty. Do you ever disregard the Lord's warnings over your pettiness? That you're being petty over something and you disregard the Lord's warnings? Do you ever plow right through good counsel? I mean, you ever have a pastor that, that cajoles you like week after week from this pulpit to, to forego sin? Just It's just a hypothetical. You ever had that and you just plow on anyway? You ever disregard preaching and pleading to do something different? You ever disregard the counsel of others? If you do, then just repent. Turn before you get too late, before you get too far down the road, before you go do something really stupid like Cain did, repent. Turn away. Listen to the warnings. Listen to your pastor who loves you who only wants what's best for you, who wants you to follow Jesus, who doesn't want you to dive off and continue in your sin. Even if you're in sin today, we want to help you out. This is not a church. If you're new here, this is not a church that's going to just shame you over your sin. We're going to give you a hand and try to help you get out. You know what we're going to do? We're actually going to step down there with you. We'll grab you and try to get you out and heave you out. And if we have to call more people to come and help us, we'll call more people to come and help us get out, okay? You don't have to stay there. You don't have to keep there in the sin which is crouching at your door, hoping to destroy you. Sin not only needs, leads to pettiness, but our sin causes us to put on false fronts. To put on false fronts. It's the story of Abram and uh, Sarah uh, in Genesis chapter 12. This is what the text says. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine that was severe in the land. Famine does a lot to people, right? 
Makes it moves people around. God, God at works move people around. When he saw about, uh, uh, when he was there, excuse me, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, "I know that you're a woman, beautiful in appearance." And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Egypt saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. And for her sake... He dealt with Abram, and he had uh, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, "What's up, bro? What is this that you've done to me? Are you kidding me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? And I looked for my wife, uh, and then I took her for my wife, and then." Uh, here's your wife, take her, go, scram, beat it. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And then the same thing happens again in chapter 20. So not only happens in chapter 12, we see it happen again in chapter 20. And, and so what was Abram doing? Chapter 12, verse 13 tells us Abram was putting on a false front to save himself. Look at verse 13. It says, it says, say you're my sister and that it may go well with me because of you and my life may be spared for your sake. So he says, say you're my sister and that it may go well with me and that my life may be spared. Who's he worried about? Yeah, he's worried about his own skin, right? He's like, I, I don't know what they're going to do with you, but whenever they get you and do whatever they're going to do with you, you just say that we're not married, okay? Got it? And so he was putting on a false front to protect his own can. And he used his wife to accomplish it. You ever put on a false front? Have you ever stretched the truth to save your own skin? When's the last time you just flat out lied to get your own way? Man, we some jacked up people, aren't we? I mean, we're just jacked up because we'll do, we, 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 can, we can point at this and go, man, that's stupid. What you doing, bro? We do the same things. We, we, we do the same thing. It's easy to point out his folly, right? It's harder to turn that finger back and point it at ourselves. We do some of the same kinds of things. But not only do we put on false fronts, we do this. We see this happen in the text as well. People pass the buck. Saw this in Genesis 3 uh, uh, with Adam blaming Eve. You know, after, after the Lord comes in and he's like, Lord, this woman, that, that woman, this woman that you gave me, uh, she's the one that gave me the fruit and I ate. You know, he was, he was blaming it all on him. In Genesis 4, uh, we see that Cain and Abel, whenever Cain ends up killing his brother, and the Lord comes in to find them, and, and Cain, uh, the Lord says, hey, uh, where is Abel? What does Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? Was it up to me to keep up with him? Why are you asking me, bro? Abram's story, 
you know, to again, just avoid the, the, the issues at hand or the danger at hand. He pushed responsibility over on somebody else. Joseph's brothers, we, we just kind of got out of the end of Genesis heartlessly selling him into slavery and, and just kind of going back to having their own picnic that they were having. And, and then they finally went and told the dad and uh, uh, they, they were just like, let's just move this problem along and, and let's just pass the buck. Here's our issue. We'll deal with it. Let's pass it on for somebody else to have to deal with. Conflict. They didn't want to handle conflict in the middle of it. They want to have to deal with it face to face. How do you handle conflict? What do you do with conflict? How do you respond when in difficult situations, when people come at you and, and deal with and ask you hard questions and, and have to deal with situations at hand? How do you respond to those things? How do you react whenever you get accused of something, whether it's true or whether it's not true? How do you react to those things? How do you use your words in those situations? Do you use them to address the issue and and say, let's talk about whatever's going on here? Use the words to pass the buck. Move on. Tired of talking about this. I don't know what we do see passing the buck. We also see them doing this, putting off the urgent for the temporary. Putting off the urgent for the temporary, you go back to the story of Abram and Lot. Remember that? They divided the land. They had so much land and so much cattle and so much livestock that they were with them. They're like, hey, man, we can't do this together. We can't hang out here together. We got to divide the land between us. And, and Abram was like, man, Lot, you pick one you want to go, and, and I'll take whatever's left over. And so Lot was looking out, and he's like, well, this looks like a desolate side of the, of the congregation over here. Uh, sorry, land over here. And uh, this side looks like it's flowing with milk and honey over here. And so I'm going to go choose this side. I'll choose right side instead of left side. And, uh, and so Abram's like, okay, that's fine. And so uh, Lot picks this way, and he heads toward where? Sodom. Yeah, he heads toward Sodom. And it's an appropriate name, right, for the city because the ongoing sodomy in the city uh, this Bible is very explicit about that, about what was going on in the city. And you can go back and read that if you want to. Uh, but uh, God shows like, hey, you know what? This city's so bad. It, there, there's so much garbage going on in this city uh, that I'm going to destroy the city. And so he gave a warning and he said, hey, I, Abram, I'm going to go destroy the city. And Abram's like, please don't do that. Please don't go destroy the city. My brother's in there. And God was like, if you can go find a few righteous men, uh, basically he couldn't do it because there was nobody righteous in that, in that city. And so God said, go get your brother and his family and get them out of there. And so they started to leave the city. God said, whatever you do, don't look back over your shoulder. But Lot's wife, man, she couldn't stand it, right? She was like, one little peek. It won't hurt if I take one little peek. One last peek will be fine. One more view of my home that I love. And she, she looked over and she was like a big old you know, pillar of salt. It turned to a pillar of salt. She was done for. Jesus spoke about that in a parable um, that we get carried away by the temporary cares of the world. And he talked about the, the parable of the sower, and for, for time's sake, I don't have time to read it from you, but it's from Mark chapter 4. He talks about a sower going out into the field and um, uh, and, and that sometimes the birds would come. He was throwing seeds out in the field. Sometimes bird would come and, and eat the seeds that would fall on the on the on the walkways, and sometimes that they would that some of the seeds would fall into like some really shallow dirt, and they would spring up 
but then the sun would be so hot that they would just melt away really quickly, and some of the seed would find a little bit of soil, and they would grow up, but the weeds would come, and they would choke them out, and then some of the seeds would find some actual uh, good dirt, and they would, they would take roots, and they would grow up, and they would actually multiply multiple times over, and so that's how Jesus explained that to say that that's the way that we are. That many times that we get carried away um, by the deceitfulness and the riches of the world. That we get, that we, rather than doing the things that are important, that we get carried away by the deceitfulness of the world. That we, we get carried away by too many other things and the things that are important. As we get older, one of the things that I'm learning as I'm getting older, that most of the stuff just doesn't matter. Things of the world that we tie ourselves to and, we, and, and we, that we get our minds and our eyes focused on, they just don't matter because our life is, remember what I told you last week? What is it? Like a vapor. It's quick. Boom. Boom. It's fast. Before you know it, this, this life's done. And unfortunately, it happens faster for some of us than others. Too many of us here, or some of us that are watching even today, as you're, as you're watching here and you're watching from wherever you're watching from, uh, have put off the urgent for the temporary. That we choose the temporary things of the world, too concerned with the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things rather than the things of God. Church, listen, these accounts that we've read through in Genesis are given to us as warnings many times. Yes, many times we know the scripture's pointing us to Jesus, but they're also given to us as warning signs, as just signs along the road to say, hey, don't find yourself caught up in this same type of thing. Do you find yourself in any of these spots? Any of these things that I've talked about so far, do you find yourself there? Have you found yourself there in the past or maybe you're drifting towards one now? You find yourself sliding into sin just kind of drifting away and kind of keeping, tipping, getting your toes in the sin pool. You find yourself needing someone or something to rescue you. Many of you are putting off the urgent issues of repenting of your sins, of turning away from your sins and believing in the gospel because you're more concerned with the temporary things of life. You think you've got so many years ahead and you're unconcerned about the things of God. And you're putting off the urgent for the temporary. You're, putting, you're, you're more concerned about things that, in, in essence, really have no value. The thing that I'm always reminded of, whenever we get to the point when we, whenever we have to bury a friend or a loved one, man, they go into the ground, and everything they had, they've just left behind whether it's $2 or $20 million, whether it's a big home or they're homeless, they go into the ground and leave everything else just behind. Your delay may lead to your own spiritual death. Because like much of our Genesis account, many of you do this. You just push away truth. You just push away truth. You even come to church. You come to a church like Refuge that passionately preaches the gospel every week, that the music that we choose sings and proclaims the gospel message every week, and you push away the truth. It's like we saw Joseph's brothers do. 
They just pushed away. Joseph spoke some truth to them, and they didn't like it. They didn't think it felt right to them. It didn't sit right with them. I didn't like the way he delivered that message. I don't like the words that he said to me. And what they say? Let's kill him. I'll just disregard it. So they sold him into slavery, told their father uh, that an animal had killed him, and moved on down their line. Many of us push away truth. Two words that are our favorites here. But God, even of you who are pushing away truth, but God, listen, but God, even in our folly, even in our faking it, even in our failures to follow who Jesus is, God gave hope in each of these Genesis accounts. All of them. All of them where they messed it up, God brought hope. God always keeps his promises, and this has been the recurring theme through Genesis, that God always keeps his promises, no matter what the people around him are choosing to do, that God chooses to keep his promises. Not only does God keep his promises, but God makes provision for his people. Even in their sin, even in their folly, even in their unbelief, God chooses to be faithful. God made provision, what? to accomplish his purpose. He had had a purpose that he wanted to accomplish to accentuate their sin, to to let them see where their sin was, and then to make an avenue back for them, to make an avenue of salvation for many of them, which pushes us forward to the Jesus story, right? I mean, that, that is the essence of the gospel. So Genesis points us to the the perfect one, right? Genesis says that whenever no, we can't make a way, that God will make a way for us, which is Jesus coming to the earth. Jesus is God, the Son, the, the righteous one coming into the earth that says, I'm coming, I'm coming to live like you. I'm coming to experience everything that you experience. I'm coming to be tempted in every way as you are, yet Jesus did it without sin, right? That is the perfect one. And so he came to live, to be our intercessor, to live like we did, to be tempted, and to not do all the stuff that we fall into, he didn't fall into it. But then after the the perfect one came was perversion, right? The people around him were like, we don't like you, all the religious people like, I don't like the way you do that. I don't like the way you do that on the Sabbath. I don't like the way that you should do those kind of things. I don't like the way that you do that. I don't like the things that you're saying. I don't believe the words that you're saying, which is many of you. You don't believe who Jesus is because you're pushing him away because you are letting the, 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 uh, our enemy pervert what the message of the gospel. That Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And that's his provision that he makes for us. That that we have an enemy that is perverting his message, but Jesus continues to make provision for us. That you can have life and you can have it abundantly. That, That through the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, he is the only God who is alive, ever interceding on mine and your behalf. And so you don't have to continue to distort this gospel message. Listen, I'm, and I'm, I'm wrapping up. If, if you don't have to continue to distort the truth of the gospel message. You don't have to continue in the sin which so easily entangles you. Whatever sin that you find yourself in, you don't have to continue there, okay? You don't have to stay there. You might find yourself there. You just don't have to stay there. And you don't have to continue in the perversion of that sin. You can have the provision that is only found in Jesus. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Look, 
Jesus is not looking for perfect people. You know why? Because they ain't none. Say that with me. They ain't none. One more time. They ain't none. That includes you and me. There's no perfect people. The people that he chose throughout the Genesis account and the people he chooses today are not perfect saints. They're at times flawed, deep character flaws, in their, not only in their character but in their actions that they do. They were just deeply sinful people. But God, right? But God. Just with, as he did with Abraham and Jacob and the others that we've talked about through Genesis, God can and does do great things through weak vessels, including you. By his grace and because of his powerful plan, your mistakes and your faults and your sins don't have to disqualify you from being part of the kingdom of God. Are you part of the kingdom of God? This is a serious question. With this, I'm going to be close. Are you part of the kingdom of God? Right now, are you part of the kingdom of God? If today were your day, and today is the day that you leave this earth and you stand before God, and you walk up to God, and he says, why should I let you in? Think about what your answer would be right now. Think about what your answer God's standing. Why should I let you in? If the answer that you just said to yourself in your brain was anything other than, I am solely dependent on the righteousness of Jesus, that the death, the blood of Jesus covered my sin debt, and without Jesus, I don't get in. If you said anything, if you said, I'm dependent on my good works, hey, I'm a pretty good person, I give money to the church, my mama was a Christian, any of those kind of things, if you said anything else other than the righteousness of Jesus, if you said anything else other than I'm trusting in Jesus alone for my salvation, then you are trusting in something that, will, that is a perversion of what the truth is. There's only one hope. The scripture says that, that, that God was our only hope. It was pointing to the one that was to come, that Jesus is our only hope. And your only hope today is to put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus today. We invite you into that today. I'm going to stand back in front of the sound booth shortly. And if you said anything else other than I'm trusting in Jesus, then I want you to come back there and we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about that. We'll pray. We'll open the scriptures. We'll show you why that is the truth why he is the way, he is the only way, the truth and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father except through him, that he is the only way. It'd be our joy to show you the truth of the gospel. Let me pray for you.